Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. It's Christmas, and so it's normally that time of year where people are thinking about the bigger picture, where people are often searching. Have you ever found the dynamic where maybe a family or a, or a friend decide that they want to turn up to church? We, we pastors have go through seasons where we see that we, we see the, the same sorts of people each year in, year out that seem to be here just at Christmas. It's because Christmas evokes a time in which we think about the bigger picture and we begin to search. We, we think about the issues that are beyond our everyday lives. We, we sing songs like this. It's Christmas time, there's no need to be afraid. At Christmas time, we, we let in the light and banish the shade. And in our world of plenty, we can spread a smile of joy. Throw your arms around the world at Christmas time. You know who wrote that? Bob Geldof. You know, isn't it interesting? We, we like to sing those, those lofty songs at this time of year, even if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, like many of those that sing Heal the World, don't they know it's Christmas time? And so what I find is this dynamic, and I find it all quite a lot these days as a pastor, is that it seems more and more acceptable these days to say, I'm searching. I'm I'm. I'm, I'm searching, I'm searching for God, but uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't quite worked things out. You know, if you go to places like Dimmock's, you'll see all sorts of different books in the non-fiction section. Here are a couple that I like. Cyber Grace. <laughs> searching for God in a digital age. And besides Still Waters, Searching for God in an Age of Doubt. And as I look through these books, here's, here's what I noticed. What I notice is that these titles don't say Cyber Grace, Finding God in the Digital Age. Or By Side Still Waters, Finding God. You see, I'm finding more and more that it's socially acceptable to say that you're searching. What's not socially acceptable is to say that you've found something. I mean, think about it. If you go to work tomorrow and you say to someone, what did you do yesterday? Well, uh, we went down to Balmoral and I found God. (laughs) How would people react? But certainly it's a lot more acceptable to say that I'm searching. But we're in a bind here because you can search and search. You can say that you haven't found anything. And I can understand the reason why. The key reason why is that look, most people, particularly the baby boomers, have been brought up in an era where they understood or been part of the institutional church. And they grew up in places where they found that that people, as they went further and further into the church, they found that the people that had found God are the ones that are the most obnoxious, are the most hypocritical, and uh, the most angry and the most frustrated. And so they said, I don't want to find God, because if I find God, I'll become like that. And I'll be the first one here this morning to say, yep, I'll acknowledge that. That the church has not done things as well as it could and as a result people are in a bind because they don't want to find here's a question though Uh, if this is true this one verse and look we preachers we like to get through multiple verses don't we expound all the bible and pull it apart i'm just going to stick to this one verse in john chapter one it says in here that The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. We're going to stick to that one verse this morning. 
That one verse, that one verse at Christmas time that, that Christians, churches are always saying, this is the message of Christmas, that God became a human. Now, if that is true, that should do something to you remarkable. If that is true, what that says to you, if you are searching today, it's saying that you can find that God has become a person, that it is graspable. And so people are happy to search, but the question is, are you willing to find? And if you are willing to find, then the question is, how do I find God? This verse gives us the answer. Here's the pathway to finding God this morning. This verse will shake your reality. It will soothe your frustrations and it will stir you to action. Here's the first thing that this verse should do is that it should shake your reality. I find that Christmas starts to smell familiar. Anyone got a real Christmas tree this year? Those that have dared to do that? If you find when you, when you go out of the house for a couple of hours and then you come back, then you suddenly realise that beautiful pine smell like PinoClean. <laughs> or maybe if you don't have a real Christmas tree, have you guys ever been through that dynamic where you leave your house for two to three weeks over Christmas holiday and you open up your front door and you turn to yourself and you say, does our house really smell like that? <laughs> Is this what our guests smell when we come around? You know, I feel like Christmas, Christmas has become a familiar smell. The incarnation, God becoming a, a man, particularly for many Christians, it's become a familiar smell. We don't realise it. I'll tell you what happens with familiar smells. Um, I was house-sitting once as a kid for some people up the road at my auntie's place. And uh, I was there for a week. There was this almighty smell, smell in the house. It was so bad that I had to get one of those glade bombs and... And we had to set it off just about every day. We couldn't get rid of this smell, no, no matter where we found it. Anyway, it seemed to be worse in my room, but as the week progressed, we just got over it. You, you just didn't need the Glade bombs anymore. It just happened. Anyway, as, as, if, as the family comes back at, at the end of this week of house-sitting, they turned turn to us and said, hey, where's Sparkles? <laughs> well, what do you mean, where's Sparkles? Where's the rabbit? We haven't seen a rabbit. <laughs> and so I later discovered that poor little Sparkles went and had laid himself to rest underneath the bed that I was sleeping in all week. <laughs> Something happens in familiarity, in ordinariness that you need to get broken out of. And when this verse says, God became flesh it should be hitting your soul the same way that someone comes in and says, where's Sparkles? You know, I see in people time and time again, there are things in your life, there are routines, there are frustrations, there are things that you've just grown to accept in familiarity. And the great news of this story is that someone has broken in and said, this is not all there is. That there is something more than the ordinariness of your life. It needs to shake your reality. That's what this verse should do, should do. The word became flesh. God became a human. Where's sparkles? You know, you know as well as I do, ordinary life stops us from asking these questions, doesn't it? Where am I, where am I going in life? Is this all there is? What's the purpose of my life? Is there more to this? What's it accomplishing? What will it amount to? Can I put it to you, only until you get to a time like Christmas and to hear a verse like this, will you just stop? 
and to think and to push in against the implications of that truth. God became a human. God became a human. It should shake your reality. How? You know what I call this? I call this truth metamucil. It's easy to swallow at Christmas time, but if you get this, it should explode inside you in about three days' time. (laughs) It should clear you out intellectually. It's easy to, oh yeah, Jesus became a baby. It's sweet. And then... (laughs) Jack Miles, a non-Christian author, Pulitzer Prize winner, he, he got the truth, Metamucil, when he was writing an article for the New York Times saying religion makes a comeback. And he says this, We are secular people, and therefore there shouldn't be such a thing as morality. There are no moral absolutes. It's all a matter of opinion. There's no such thing as beauty. It's all a matter of chemistry. There's no way to say that human beings are more valuable than rocks or trees or salamanders because we're all just accidents. Can I push into you this morning? And to say, unless this is true, then Jack Miles has a lot of weight behind his argument. Christmas is the one time where we can extrapolate our thinking out into its implications. If God did not become a human, then we're all just atoms. What what is it when when we... when we start to think this through and we pause, what happens? Our reality is being shaken. If I believe this world is all there is, if I believe that it's just a material world, but then hang on, if this is true, and by the way, this truth has, has turned the world upside down over the last couple of thousand years. If it's true, then maybe what I believe can't be true. See, what's happening is starting to shake your reality. It should shake you. It's the first thing that happens. Truth metamucil. Here's the second thing that this statement should do to you. It should soothe your frustrations. As a pastor, I find people's biggest barrier to finding God often is this. If God is so good, then why does he let such horrible things happen to good people in the world? Aleppo. We're trying to do Christmas and we're, we're watching kids being murdered in the street. I saw the image of the little guy in, in, the, in the back of the ambulance. And it's the reality of this world constantly breaking, breaking in on us, saying, where is God in all of this? If God is, and I, I totally get the frustrations with, but where is God in all of this? When we see the lack of justice and the senseless violence that is happening over in the Middle East at the moment. And we say, where is God in all of this? You know, some of us, sometimes we view God like the politicians. He's just sitting up there and he's, he's marbled United Nations building. He's looking down upon all of this. And, and what would he know? What's he doing about all of this? And then we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He's amongst us. If God truly became human, then we have an incredible resource for pain and suffering in the world. We have an incredible resource to say that God enters into that. He dwells into that. As Dorothy Say, as the author puts it, the incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited or to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. For whatever reason he did that, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. 
He himself has gone through the whole human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair and death. He was born into poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it was well worth his while. I can't give you an answer for why. The Bible's got lots of insights in terms of what God is doing about evil and suffering and injustice in the world. But he, we can't necessarily give you a why to your suffering and injustice, but here's what it can do. If God is a human, if, if, God, if the word has become flesh, then what it means for you, if you're in the midst of pain and suffering this Christmas, is he gets you. He gets what you're going through. He understands what it's like to be facing financial hardship. He understands what it's like to be poor. He understands what it's like to lose a loved one or a friend. He's done all that. If you read through this book of John and just don't leave it at chapter one and read through, you'll see all of that. He understands what it is to be homeless. He understands what it is to be so anxious that you sweat blood. He understands this because he's human. You know what? No other God in the world can do that. Every other God is a lofty power. Every other God is the force. Not this God, he's human. And when we see that, that John says that God has become human, if it is, then he's been through it. And haven't you ever found, who are the best counsellors? The best counsellors are the ones that have been through it, right? How, how often have you found in those moments of intense pain in your life that you don't want an intellectual argument? about the why behind it all. Have you ever found that the one thing that you want is a friend to put their arm around you and say, hey, I've been there. I know what it's like to have the blood report come back. I know what it's like to lose a loved one. That's what happens when we live out the reality of God become flesh. And yet, too, we see, let's see the story of Christmas for what it really is, church. The story of Christmas is about a Middle Eastern baby who's born into a society where it's under the threat of oppression and terrorism every single day. Who is running from his own home and is born into absolute poverty and there's nothingness and through the fear of persecution has to flee and become a refugee. Is that a story that we've heard of late? See the connectability of, we look at Aleppo, we look at the Middle East, we look at all the things that are happening, we cry out, where is God in the midst of this? And yet we see the reality of Christmas is, he was already there. He already understands what it is to be these children in the midst of abject horror over there. God gets us if the word has become flesh that should soothe our frustrations. Finally, not only should... It shake our reality, soothe our frustrations. Finally, it should stir you to action. My favourite movie as a kid, it was a cult-following movie. It was called The Last Starfighter. One of those great movies as a kid. Here's how it goes, because I'm sure you all, you haven't seen it? No? Okay. <laughs> the Last Starfighter, Alex Rogan, he's just, he's just an everyday kid in in the back of a caravan park in California and he plays this video game every single night before he goes to bed and he gets so good at it that um, one night he's there playing, he breaks the record and on breaking the record, down comes this guy in a car, he's an alien and he comes down and he says, uh, greeting Starfighter, you've been recruited to, to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. 
And so he whisks him into this car and he, he shoots him off into, into space. And Alex Rogan, this kid from this, this caravan park in the back of nowhere, suddenly finds himself up in space as the last starfighter, the last one that is going to defend all of the galaxy against uh, the enemy uh, that is seeking to destroy it. And at the end of the movie, there's this great scene where everyone's wondering where Alex has been and, and, and his, his girlfriend comes out. There's this loud bang in the caravan park, this huge light, and this, this massive spaceship comes down and it, and it, it lands right, right next to the video game in the arcade and down, down the ladder comes this man in a spacesuit and everyone's terrified and, and this man in the spacesuit walks out and he lifts up his helmet and to everyone's surprise, it's Alex. And so they chat to him and they're there for five minutes and then suddenly he says, I've got to go. I've got to go defend the galaxy. And then he reaches out his hand and he says to his girlfriend, Maggie, Maggie, come with me. And she pauses for a moment and then she says to him, looking at the spaceship, well, what about grandma? <laughs> what about grandma? There's a spaceship in your front yard. Get onto the spaceship, live a big life, do something different. Who cares about grandma? Look, God incarnated into a baby, but it may as well have been a spaceship. The truth of Christmas is that, that something alien has landed in your front yard. This baby will grow up and he'll hold your hand out to you and he'll say, come follow me. Come join me on the biggest adventure of your life. Come join me as we seek to defeat Zur and the Kodan Armada. This battle where the kingdom of light will be overcoming the kingdom of darkness and I'm calling you to be a part of it. And what do most of us say? What about grandma? What about my career? What about my reputation? What will people say about me at work? More so, you know, the common one, what will I have to give up? I heard that if you become a Christian, you know, you've got to, you've got to give stuff up. <laughs> And that's, 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 like the world's, that's like the world's greatest swim coach saying, I've just, I've just found in you that you have the perfect physique to be the next Ian Thorpe. You can be Australia's solution to the swim team. I want to coach you. I want to take you on. And, and, and the, you turn to him and say, yeah, well, can I keep smoking? <laughs> well, yeah, you can keep smoking, but that's not who you're designed to be. Of course you're going to give things up. Of course there's stuff that you're going to give up. But there, there is going to be a light that dawns in your life that is so bright, it's going to overshine all of it. Friend, as, as one writer, C.S. Lewis, says, we must repent of our small ambitions. If this verse is true, we have been called to live big lives. Non-ordinary lives. People come in and they bounce against Christianity and suddenly they're working to the reality that they can walk out of these doors this morning or they can walk out of the conversation they've had with someone and, and realise that there is something else. Friend, don't miss the opportunity. If this is real, a spaceship has landed into your life, that life is no longer ordinary and it should stir you to action. But does it? Look, the, the reality is, as we get ready to finish up this morning, is that maybe, maybe not. I, I can't talk you into anything. I can't talk anyone into anything. Even the Apostle Paul couldn't talk anyone into him. Remember when he was trying to convince King Agrippa to become a Christian and he was telling him all the stories about Jesus and these things were done in your sight. These were not hidden. You know this, Agrippa. And Agrippa knew that. And he said, Paul, do you seriously think you're trying to, in this short time, convince me to be a Christian? 
Paul says, look, no, I just pray that you become everything I am except for these chains. Friend, there's a reality that if we, if we stop letting Christmas smell familiar, we'll come back in and we'll be, get, we'll be awoken again. And Christians, we should realize that there is a power and there is a bigness that should be about our lives that if you and I are real with ourselves, we don't reflect. We've gone back to ordinary. And so as we finish this morning, I just want to, I just want to echo the words when it comes to the, the question around this verse. The word became flesh, Jesus, son of God, human being. I want to finish with the words of one of the great philosophers of the 21st century. His name is Bono. He's the lead singer of U2. And in a great exchange in a book that was written about him by a secular writer, they're talking about this. And the secular writer says, uh, talk about Jesus as God. That's a great idea. No denying it. Such a great hope is wonderful, even though it's close to lunacy in my view. Christ has his rank amongst the world's great thinkers. But son of God, isn't that far-fetched, Bono? Bono says this, No, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to Jesus' story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy. He had a lot to say along the lines of the other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha or Confucius. But actually, Jesus doesn't allow you to do that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I am God incarnate. And people say, no, 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 please, please just be a prophet, a prophet we can take. You're a bit eccentric. We've had John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey. We can handle that. But don't mention the M word because, you know, we're going to have to crucify you eventually. And then he goes, no, no, I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and to set you free from these creeps, but actually I'm the Messiah. At this point, everyone starts to stare at their shoes and says, oh, my goodness, he's going to keep saying this. And so what you're left with is either Christ is who he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate, or he's a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, Bono says, for me, that's far-fetched. If only we could be a little bit more like him, the world would be transformed. When I look at the cross of Christ and I see up there is all my junk. Sam's changed the words, by the way, for Bono. He's so rock star. (laughs) And I look at everyone else's junk. I ask ask myself the question a lot of people have asked. Who is this man? And was he who he said he was? Or was he just a religious nut? And there it is. And that's the question. And no one, including this preacher, can talk you out of it. The word became flesh. And we saw it. Those words changed the course of history. And so, Christian, maybe if anything this morning of all of this, maybe God is just saying to you, we're sparkles. <coughs> have, you, have you become too desensitized in the ordinariness of life? And we just pass over this phrase. To those that might be searching amongst us this morning, and there's always a bunch in this place that are searching. It's one thing to be searching, but my key question for you this morning is, you can search all you like, but are you willing to find? (laughs) You can find. Buck the trend. Receive him this morning, I pray. Let's pray now. Well, thanks for tuning in. 
If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.